And our scripture reading again comes from two places. The first we'll turn to is Leviticus 16 to finish uh, about the Day of Atonement, and then Luke 24 uh, of the resurrection. So beginning in Leviticus chapter 16 at verse 23, where we left off on Friday. Leviticus chapter 16, beginning at verse 23. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, and put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering and a burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar, and he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement for the holy place shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. And then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you and cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of a solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. And then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Turning now to Luke in chapter 24. Luke 24 deals with the women coming to the sepulcher. Luke 24, beginning at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, Two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And then they returned from the tomb, 
and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. We'll stop there as far as the reading of God's holy word. Dear congregation, as we've been looking at the Day of Atonement from Leviticus 16, we heard how Aaron was instructed to go into that most holy place of the tabernacle, and the death of his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, were that painful reminder that he could, just, he could not make any mistakes, but he had to follow God's instructions perfectly. So Aaron had to take off those, those colorful high priestly garments, and he had to do his work wearing those simple plain linen garments. He had to offer the bull first for his own sins and, and then the goat for the people as we considered on Friday. And then he would enter into that most holy place inside that veil, bringing the blood, and he had to sprinkle it there on the mercy seat and around the mercy seat. And that blood of that sacrifice uh, represented that uh, the penalty of the broken law required the payment, the payment of death. But then when Aaron was finished, he came back out of that most holy place, back through the veil that, that blocked the way to the mercy seat. And then that veil would close behind him as he went through. And then as we read, he would take off those linen garments again and put his, his high priestly colorful garments back on again, those garments that represented royalty and, and holiness of the Lord. And so this show to the people that the atonement that he made was successful, that he came back out alive, that he did not stay there, but that God, in a way, received and accepted those sacrifices. And this was all to be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ with that perfect sacrifice that he made once and for all for sin. That sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ was accepted by the Lord that atonement that Christ made was successful. And when Christ came into this world, He, he put on those, those robes of a slave. He came in, in, in humility with the form of a servant. And He died making that one sacrifice for sin. But as we hear today, He arose again from the grave. He came out of the grave. Just like Aaron came out of the tabernacle again. He did not remain in that grave and then he could lay down those garments of humility and be clothed with the garments of glory again as he would ascend up into heaven. And this is the message that the angels now give to these women as they come to the grave. He is not here, but he is risen. And that will be our focus here this morning from verse 6. And our theme then is Christ is risen. The first thought then is simply he is risen. Because in first, verse 1 here of Luke, chapter 24, these women came to the grave expecting to find the body of the Lord Jesus. Whereas if you think of the Israelites, when Aaron went into the tabernacle, they did not expect him to stay there. They did not, they did not expect to find his, his body there, but they expected him to return alive every time he finished those sacrifices. Even though there was the fear of death, even though there was a somber reminder of God's absolute holiness, 
when they saw Nadab and Abihu killed because they came in the wrong manner. Aaron himself was warned not to come in the wrong manner lest he die. And so all these sacrifices were reminding them time and again of the enormity of our sin. They saw the blood of the animals shed continually for sin. And such was the perfection that the holiness of God requires, that not a single mistake could be made, not a single sin could enter His presence, that means. And His justice demands death as the wages of our sin. Just like when we are confronted with death now, we don't expect to see those people again here on earth. We, we do not expect Him to come to return to us from the grave because death has a finality to it. Death has a hold that we cannot break. Death has a sting that we cannot heal. Remember when David's child died in 2 Samuel 12, he said, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And it's in this way that these women come to this grave now with that same understanding. They don't expect the Lord Jesus back. And so they bring their spices and they embalm the body, uh, to embalm the body, and to try to preserve those memories as long as possible. But when, when in verse 2 and 3, when they arrive at the tomb, instead of finding the body, they find an empty tomb. It says, but they found a stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord. You can hear that questioning voice that these angels then had for them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you expect to find the Lord Jesus here? He is finished His work on this earth. Didn't He say Himself on the cross, it is finished, it is accomplished? Did He accomplish all the work that His Father sent Him to do? He does no more need for him to be here in the grave. And that's why he is not here. He is risen. So that moves us to our second thought here. He is risen. And in this second thought, we'll see four things pertaining to this resurrection. And the fact that Christ is risen, we see first, declares the success of the atonement. See, when Aaron completed the work of the atoning sacrifices, he came back to the people. Behind that veil represented the humility. Aaron was clothed as those plain clothes of a servant. And Christ, clothed in humility as a servant, descended deeper into this darkness than Aaron ever could. And that's where our great high priest went without sin himself, but bearing the sins of his people. He came there as the lamb without blemish and without spot. No defilement on him. And then the word spot is only used in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. It refers to the further blamelessness of Christ, the moral purity of Christ. And there he laid down his own life as a ransom for many. There his blood was shed as a substitutionary sacrifice for his people. Just like the goat represented the sins of the people, Christ was a substitute for His people. His blood was shed to satisfy the demands of that broken law. His blood was shed to satisfy the unchangeable justice of a holy God. And there Christ paid it all. There He finished that work of the atonement. And now Christ exits the tomb. Now He has finished that work 
He is not here, but he is risen, the angels say. See, Aaron coming back out of the tabernacle was just as much a message as him going in, in with the blood and in with the clothing. Because if he would have died there, the people would never have known, did God really accept that sacrifice? Did it really work? But now here Christ himself, he rose from the dead, and this declared then the success of the atonement that he made for sin. It shows that Christ earned and merited that glory, that resurrection glory. There's, here it shows that there's victory over the grave and over death. The broken law that demands death, as Galatians 3 says, that cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But here Christ paid that debt and satisfied its demands. And so Paul says death is swallowed up in victory. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the law has nothing against Christ. Christ paid for the sins of all his people. He had nothing against Christ to start with, but as he bore the sins of his people, and now that curse has been removed. And that resurrection is the evidence that that atonement was complete. The resurrection showed that Christ is well pleased with Christ, that he accepted this perfect sacrifice. And that's why the angels say he is not here, but he is risen. And if God was well pleased with Christ in his life, when he said, this is my well-beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. God shows that he is very pleased with Christ after his death, raising him from dead. The the resurrection demonstrates his favor as he exalts him now to a glory above every name. Acts 2 verse 36 says, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And how much more now that he is alive and resurrected must we obey his word? And how much more can we now expect to be heard by the living God knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive and raised from the dead. So he declares the success of the atonement. Then secondly, he declares the superiority of Christ over the types in the Old Testament. See, the atonement that Aaron made with animal sacrifices was itself not sufficient. Aaron had to pass that priesthood down to his children, and the high priest had to make atonement for the sins of the people once every year. We read that in in Leviticus 16, where it says, He is consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place. He shall make atonement and put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. You can see how it repeats the need for the atonement, the atonement, the atonement for everything once a year. And so every year Aaron and his sons would have to enter back into that veil and they would come out and that veil would be closed still. And those animals continually needed to be killed. But when Christ came 
He accomplished that sacrifice once and for all. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two. Uh, Luke 23 says, verse 45, and Hebrews 9 verse 7 says that the high priest had to enter every year. And by that, the Holy Spirit is indicating this, that the way into the holiest of alls was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. It was symbolic. And verse 11 of Hebrews 9, but Christ came as the high priest of good things to come with his own blood. He entered a most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And so Christ accomplished what Aaron could only represent. Christ perfected that work that the tabernacle and the Day of Atonement only symbolized. And so now in Christ, you can find that eternal redemption with God. And then thirdly, the resurrection declares the fulfillment of prophecy. In verses 6 and 7 of Luke 24, the angels said to them, He's not here, but is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. What do the angels do? They point them back to the Word of God. And so often our, our doubts and fears can fill our hearts and, and our minds because we don't go back to the Word of God. We forget what He promises. We fail to trust Him for the future because we fail to remember what He's done and said in the past. And so doubts can arise and, and, and fears can fail, fill our hearts or our faith can fail because we don't remember what Christ has said and done. But here in verse 8 it says, Then the women remembered. It is then that their joy returned. Christ told them that, that He must suffer and that He must die. He told them that He would rise again the third day. And so this question must, must come as a shock to them. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He, he told you that He would come, and He is not here. And I fear that sometimes our faith seems so dead because we act like Christ is still dead. Do we believe that we come to a living God when we, when we pray to Him? Do we believe that we're reading the words of a living God when we read the Bible? And once these women remembered, they, they realized what this really means for them. This means that everything that Christ has ever said is true. That means that He is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, that He is the mediator, that He is the high priest who made atonement for sin. And with this message, they run and tell the disciples. And what can really fill us with more joy today than to know that God is truly your living God, that Christ is your risen Christ, that He laid down His life and shed His blood for your sins, that you stand justified before God in Him, and that He paid for all your sins. What can fill you with more joy than to know that every word of Scripture is true and that all has been fulfilled up till now and that God's Word is still being fulfilled as it teaches us further and that whatever is happening in this world, when you hear of the, 
of the wars in Ukraine, of the, the storms around the world, or the lawlessness that is coming to our lands, we can know that Christ lives, that Christ reigns, that Christ has defeated and conquered sin, and that He will deliver His people from it all. And if Christ said, this is my well-beloved Son in whom I'm well-pleased, hear Him while He was still on earth, how much more reason do we have now to hear His voice today when we know He is risen, when we know that He has ascended into heaven and that He sits in glory in heaven and that the Word He has given to us is here in Scripture? How much more reason is there for us and the world to bow before this risen Christ, as Psalm 2 says, that God highly exalted Him and given Him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, even though now they are fighting against Him so fiercely, the day will come when they will bow. <clears throat> Sorry, that was Philippians 2. And Psalm 2 says, Be wise, O kings, and be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. And blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. He is your living God and Savior. And how much more then should we also not listen to the pleading of Isaiah, who says there in Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. These are the words of the God, of the Savior who is risen from the dead and who sits in glory even today. And today he still calls you to come to Christ. As, Paul, as Peter said then in Acts 2, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then lastly, the resurrection declares the hope of every believer. Because this is the hope, this is the joy, this is the life of every believer. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. That means we serve a risen and a living Christ. That means you have access to a living God through a living Savior. And so we must see Him as our eternal high priest, sitting there in glory, in His heavenly sanctuary, interceding for His people. And that means that the way into the holiest of all, into the presence of the Father, is opened through Christ, that that veil is, has been removed Aaron was the only one who could enter into that presence in the physical tabernacle. But all of God's people can enter now through Christ because Christ has turned away the wrath of God and satisfied His justice once and for all, which means now you have access through Christ to the presence of God. And that's what Hebrews 10 says in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us, it means He opened a way for us through the veil that is His flesh. Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, full, full reliance on God, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He is faithful who promised. And so the fact that Christ is risen is our greatest and our only hope. Because Paul says if he's not risen, then you have no hope at all. Because if Christ was not raised, Paul said, then even his preaching is nothing. It's empty, and that he's even a false witness. And if Christ is not raised, then our faith is futile and empty. And if Christ is not risen, that means we are still in our sins. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, then there was never an atonement for sin. And then everyone who died believing and trusting in Christ would have died in vain, would have died with a false hope. And then truly the Christians would really be the most miserable people on this earth. To suffer, to suffer in so many different ways and then with a false hope and no future. But the angels say, he is not here because he is risen. He is alive and that means he did pay for sin. He did make an atonement for sin. He did satisfy God's wrath and reconcile the world to God. And that means that all those who trust in Him, even here today, all those of you who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, are fully forgiven and washed from all your sins. That means all your sins have been carried away, like that scapegoat into the wilderness, never to be seen again, removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And that means Christ will also come again in the clouds of heaven as prophesied in Scripture as the King of kings and of the Lord of lords. And He will deliver all His people completely because death could not hold Christ. Corruption could not consume His body because He did not sin. And the grave and hell have no power over Him. And that means death and the grave have no power over everyone who believes in Christ. Christ is risen, and that means you will be raised with Christ on that final day. That even though our bodies must physically descend into the grave and physically see corruption, as we have said, we are to return to the dust because of our sin. Yet because Christ finished that work, He arose, He will also raise up His people on that final day. Those who die in Christ shall rise first, 2 Thessalonians 4 says, and those who remain alive will meet them in the air. And with this assurance, these women departed from the sepulcher with great fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples' word. <clears throat> he is not here, but is risen. I really wonder how our lives would change if we could comprehend what those women could comprehend at that grave. To know the certainty of Christ being the living Savior. How would that change our daily life of what we do, of how we live, of how we face the circumstances, of how we view this world? He is not here but is risen. May this be in our minds every day of our life, for you serve a living God. 